Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. It is my absolute joy now to welcome our speaker uh, today. Uh, Iswe Nkosi is one of the elders of this church. He is a much-loved member. He and Anne uh, and their two uh, girls are a part of, of everything, really. I always think when Iswe prays, I want to get saved all over again. Uh, the number of people, he's one of the voices behind Lectio 365 all around the world. It, it drives me mad. People come up to me and they say, do you know who my favorite is? And like, I see, obviously, I always hope they'll go, it's you. And, and they never do. They always like, who is that? Who is that African guy with the deep voice? And I'm like, yeah, he's all right. His name's Isway, you know. Uh, but he, he, he's, he's just amazing. We, we, we love this guy to bits. And um, it's one of the joys, I think, of this church is that the people who preach aren't all, you know, professional Christians. He does a normal job. He's trying to outwork this stuff, uh, nine to five, and uh, as, as a dad and, and in his work. And so we just want to welcome you, Isway. We've already prayed for you, so we're not going to do it again. Isway, come and share the Bible with us. Well, good morning. Thank you. That was a very lovely introduction. I'll tell you something. The reason why my voice is so deep when I do Lectio is because of every single time I do it, I've got a glass of whiskey lubricating my vocal cords. <laughs> so there we have it. Well, it gives me an absolute honor to be here this morning to come and share God's word with you. I was absolutely blessed by that song, All My Life You Have Been faithful and you have been so good like as we were singing that song I just started really sobbing and crying because of when you when I think about what God has been doing and he continues to do in my own little and somewhat insignificant life it is absolutely amazing I am grateful because I can absolutely assure you this without a shadow of a doubt that God is faithful He's faithful when it's good. He's faithful when it's not so good. That's the God that we, we serve. I am really, really grateful to come here and to share his word. I remember growing up as a young boy and just, you know, just all these images kept coming in my, in my mind as we were praying. And I could see his faithfulness even in places I never thought God could possibly exist. And God has been faithful. He has been faithful to us as a church. He has been faithful to us as individuals. And it is an absolute honor just to come in here and worship and stretch our hands out and say, yes, God, you have been faithful. And today we are, today basically what we are doing, we are just sort of continuing on the theme of, on the theme of Easter and I get to speak about life after the resurrection. What does that look like? What does it mean to live after life after the resurrection? So it is a continuation of Easter, but just the other side. Amen. Amen. So, without any waste of time, can I ask Claire to please come and read God's word? I love this Pete Batten tradition and Pete Gregg's tradition that could I ask you as well to please stand as we read God's word together? Uh, just, just, yeah, one of the other. So, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 
uh, chapter 5, verse 16 to 21, and Jeremiah chapter 18. Okay. Okay, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 16. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, second reading, Jeremiah, the, uh, chapter 18, verses 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of a potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Claire, for reading uh, the word. The resurrection is an end to what was a very difficult and a very challenging journey Jesus had to go through in order for him to come and reconcile humanity back to himself. The death and the resurrection of Jesus offers us a new beginning. The whole, purpose of, the whole purpose of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried for three days, is that when he rose, he rose and he gave us a new beginning. He gave us a fresh start and he gave us a new identity. God takes on the human form. He, he, God takes on the human form to feel what we feel, to go through what we go through as human beings. He, he dies the most brutal death a person could ever die. Or as um, all of this, all of this is all in pursuit. All of this is all in pursuit so that he could reconcile us back to God again. Or as, as, um, as John chapter 1 puts it, he said that he was in the world. Though the world was created through him, the world did not recognize him. He came back to that which was his own, but his own received him not. But as many as have believed in him, he has given them the right and the privilege to be called the children of God. He went through all the emotions of being human. He went through the indignity of being humiliated by one of his closest friends. Jesus experienced grief and he experienced pain and he experienced all of this. Jesus went through the process of being human without even cheating it. As the, as, the book of, as the book of Hebrews says, part of the reason is this. The book of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who does not know how to sympathize with us in our infirmities. But he himself 
was, he himself was, you know, was tempted in every way, but was found to be without sin. He goes through all of that. He dies a brutal death so that he could reconcile us back to himself. When scripture says also in the book of Hebrews that let us therefore approach the throne room of God with confidence. Let us therefore approach the throne room of God with confidence so that we may find mercy and find grace in times of help. It's here is the thing. The reason why we are able to approach God's, God's throne room with grace is simply because of this. The finished work of the cross gives us all the confidence that we need to approach the throne room of, uh, the throne room of God's grace. The completed, finished work of the cross gives us complete confidence to approach the throne room of God's grace. Why? Because of, we know the reason why we are able to approach God's, God's uh, throne room of grace is because of Jesus. When he died on the cross and he rose on the third day, he afforded us that confidence. He afforded us that boldness that we can go into God's throne room of grace. But in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 it says this, but, says, but God demonstrated his own love in this way that whilst we were still sinners, while we were, not whilst we were still good or when we were trying to figure it out, when we were already in trouble, he came to die for us. Why? Because of, it, because of the, he died for us so that we can have access to God. Amen. He died for us so that we can have an identity. Where we read, it says, uh, it says as, many, as, as those who believe in him have been given the right to be called the children of God. This is the identity that we have that came as a result of Jesus dying on the cross. In the world that is constantly trying to figure out what its identity is or its purpose is, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is our identity. In the world that is constantly trying to work out what its own is, we believe that the resurrection of Jesus, it means that we have got an identity. And that identity is to be called the children of God. Paul in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, he makes a very bold, big statement. He makes an absolutely huge statement, the Apostle Paul. Which is not very unusual for Paul to make a huge statement. But he makes a very big one. He says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, he says... I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it is not I that lives, but Christ lives in me. He goes on to say, the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So what does it mean to live in the resurrection? Living in the resurrection means exactly that. It means that we are crucified with Christ and he lives in us. We no longer lives, but he lives in us. So when Christ, when Christ lives in us, it means that his perspective on issues, his perspective on situations becomes our own perspective. The things that moves his heart becomes the things that moves our heart. Living in the resurrection means that we start to see things the way Jesus would want us to see them. When the crucified Christ lives is us, he gives us the same compassion that he has. 
He gives us the same love and he gives us the same care for the lost, for the overlooked, and for the marginalized like he has. I mean, we were at the family business meeting yesterday and we were looking, they gave us the brochure and it, it had a breakdown of expenditures and it had a breakdown of all these uh, figures and stuff. And did you know what, what really moved my heart? What I found really cool is that, do you know on the expenditure part, on the expenditure pie thing, the biggest part of our expenditure, the biggest part on the, of our expenditure was on social justice, it was on injustice, and it was on social transformation. What does it look like to be crucified with Christ and have him live in us? He gives us the kind of kindness that allows us to look at the community in which we live in, and we go like, look, there are some kids whose families cannot afford shoes. We bought 15,000 pairs of shoes as a church for families that could not otherwise afford them. Do you know why? It's because of we believe that the resurrected Christ or the resurrected Christ lives in us and when he lives in us he gives us the same passion and the same care and the same love for those who are not as privileged or as good or as well off as we are that's what it means when we have Christ living in us it means that 5,000 people 5,000 people came through our 5,000 plus people came through our food banks and they were fed and they had a meal that they could not otherwise have had without coming through our doors. That is because we believe that the resurrection means Christ living in us. And if he lives in us, he gives us the same thing that concerns him. And therefore we respond in kind. Because of you see, the compassion of Christ is the kind of love that will make you take a step. Amen? Amen? So this is the stuff that we mean. Living in, the, living, in the resurrection, living in the resurrection means allowing Christ to live through us. And as he lives through us, everything else that we do, we do it from his point and we do it from his perspective. Living in the, in the resurrection, it means giving up control and giving the will to Jesus and let him take over. Now, talking about taking over, I've been, I've been teaching Zoe how to play the piano. So those of you would know that I play the piano, I love the piano. It's important to note at this point that really teaching your own child an instrument that you play as a parent should not be allowed. <laughs> it really should not be allowed. Some parents are going, why? Why should not it be allowed? For the same reason that a parent should never teach their own kids how to drive a car. It is absolutely frustrating. <laughs> it is really, really frustrating. So I started to teach, I've started teaching Zoe the piano. And, and when you teach somebody a piano, you have to start with the basics. And the basics in piano, or in any musical instrument that you get to play, is that you got to learn the scales. The scales are important. The scale loosen up your fingers and they, they just help you get your fingers loose and you could play. So as, as I'm teaching Zoe how to play the piano, Zoe starts to get it. In fact, she started getting it a lot quicker than I did when I was her age. And she, and she really gets it. She really gets it. She starts playing. She gets the flow. She gets the timing. She knows which notes to play, when to play them, and which fingers to play those notes with. But sometimes what tends to happen as I teach Zoe the piano is this. Zoe would play the scale, and she would get it, and she would get the flow. And as she plays it, sometimes she would play a wrong note or use the wrong finger to play the right note. 
And so what tends to happen with Zoe, the temptation with Zoe is she would do this. She would want to continue playing the scale from the point where she went wrong forward. And I say to Zoe, Zoe, no, that's not how it works. The only way you're going to get better at learning the piano and playing it right is that when you get there, when you play the wrong note or you play this, the note with the wrong finger, the best thing to do is you need to start over again. By studying over again, by studying the scale all over again, then you're going to get better because of that will improve your flow. That will help you with your flow. You can't continue from the wrong point because your fingers are going to get all muddled up. She would stop and do it again and go on and go on and go on. Here is the thing. The death and the resurrection of Jesus, it presents us or it offers us a new life. The new has come and the old is gone. But sometimes when we do get it wrong, it is important to know that the resurrection and the death of Jesus, it is a place where we can go back and start all over again when we get it wrong. To not continue from the point where we got it wrong, but to go back and start all over again. Because of, let me tell you something. The statement, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, nevertheless I live, yet it is not I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. It does not mean that we won't get it wrong. Because of the truth is, we are going to get it wrong. The truth is we are going to miss the mark. The truth is we are going to fall short. But when we do fall short, when we do get it wrong, the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ gives us a new beginning. We can start all over again. When we say, the Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of the Lord. It means we are going to get it wrong. In, in first John chapter one, first John chapter one, verses nine, it says this. It says, um, it says that if we say to ourselves we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. But if we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Which means that look, which means that when we we will get it wrong, that is inevitable. We will get it wrong. But when we do get it wrong, the resurrection. Of Jesus, it means that we can go back to that point and say, Lord, studying all over again is recognizing that I've messed up, is recognizing that I cannot continue the same way I started because of I've got all my fingers muddled up. And Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, the resurrection of Jesus is a place where we can go back and start all over again. Now, we have also read in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. We have read the story, uh, the story of Jeremiah when God sends him to the porter, to the porter's house. And when he gets to the porter's house, he finds the porter working on the wheel with a lump of clay. I love the imagery of the porter working on the wheel holding the clay. It sounds like the story of the cross. I know it sounds quite, I know that it sounds a little bit odd to compare Jeremiah chapter 18 with the story of the resurrection of Jesus. But I will show, I, I will show you where I, think, where I think this looks like the story of the cross. The potter takes a part of the clay, something that in itself hasn't got meaning, something that in itself hasn't got any value, something that in itself hasn't got any purpose, a lump 
of clay. The potter takes it, he puts it on the wheel, and then he shapes it into something that has got meaning, something that has got purpose, and something that can be useful. The death of Jesus is the potter reaching out to the murkiness of our world. Is him reaching out to the unlovable parts of ourselves, the messiness of our world. He's reaching out, he's getting us the lumps of clay, and he is shaping us into something that seems best to him. And this is the story of the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, is that through his death, through his resurrection, that we may be reconciled back to God so that the new, so that the old is gone and the new comes in. He takes us the lumps of clay and then he shapes us into something that pleases him. I love the imagery of the story of the porter because of in it there is a message of God shaping that which was unworthy, undesirable, a lump of clay and mud. And then he shapes it into what pleases him, just like what he did at the work of the cross. Now, as a young lad, as a young boy growing up in the township, you will know this, we used to, we used to play with clay. We used to go down to the river and we used to collect a lot of clay to play. You know, we couldn't afford to our own toys, so we would have to make our own toys. So we would go down to the river and collect a bunch of clay and we would put it in orange sacks and then we would bring it back to home. And what we would do sometimes is this, we would sell it to the guys who were really good uh, potters. You know, we would sell it to them and they would give us, uh, they, would, they would give us good money. But here is the thing uh, about the clay, about the clay that we used to collect, not the one that you get from Tesco's or Amazon. That one is already prepared for you. you can, it just comes in and then you can shape it into whatever you want. But what, what used to happen with us is when we get the clay, we used to, we had to really work on it. We have to work on it. We got it on the river and then, you know, on the river people used to chuck all kinds of things. And what tend to happen is things that were not part of the clay, they will be caught in the clay. And as they get caught in the clay, it means that you couldn't sell your clay to, to the porter who, to the porter if you didn't process it. So we used to get this corrugated uh, 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 sheet of uh, uh, iron and then we would just go like this and then we would squeeze it down, press it down as thin as we possibly can get it because of when it's thin, you can see and notice everything in it that is not part of the clay. And you would get really good money for doing that. Some of the things that we go through as the clay some of the things that we have to go through as the clay is this. We have to go through the process where the potter has to take out bits of the clay in the clay that are not actually part of the clay in order for him to form us into something that is meaningful and that he could use. Some of the things that we go through in life or some of the difficulties or some of the pain, it could also be a way of what we used to do as we used to do as boys, just sit down, process the clay, get rid of the bits inside stones and rocks and, you know, pride and sin and all of this. The work of the cross, when the potter came down and he reached down and he wanted to shape us and make us the people that he wants us to be, he had to go through the process of getting rid of bits in us, the clay, that were not part of the clay. And that is the process that is the process that so that he could present us he could present us to god as best as we possibly can come to him 
Some of the things we go through in life, we just have to remember that this is God just, this is just the porter getting rid of the things inside the clay that are not part of the clay so that when he presents us to God, he can present us to God as a clay who did all the work and that work is what he did on the cross and on his resurrection. Like the clay that finds its purpose in the hands of the porter, like the clay that finds purpose and meaning in the hands of the potter, so do we find our purpose and our meaning in the, in the pierced hands of Jesus and his broken body on the cross and when he resurrected from the death. That's where we find our, that's where we find our purpose. That's where we find our meaning. That's when the new, that, that, that's when the old becomes new. That's when we are made into new creatures. That's when we are made into that which Jesus wants us to be. The work of the cross is Jesus refusing to let us die. Is Jesus refusing to let us go as we have been going. The work of the cross is so that God could present us as best as, as, as without, without blemish before God as the scriptures say. What does it mean to live in the resurrection? It means allowing ourselves to understand that we have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but he lives in us. He is in charge. He's at the helm. Everything that moves him moves us. Everything that he cares about, we care about. And this is the message for me personally of the cross, that the message of the cross, the porter reaching down to the clay, and shaping it as as it seemed best to him. Let us close our eyes and I will pray. Father, thank you so much that life after, after the resurrection, it means that we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet it is not I that lives, but Christ that lives in us. Jesus, we don't, have, we don't have to keep living broken lives. We don't have to keep living meaningful lives because of the work of the resurrection. It means that we are being made new. We are new creatures. We are being transformed. And God is shaping us to be what he desires for us to be. And Lord, I pray for each and every single person in this room that, Lord, you would bless them, that they would leave this room understanding that, God, you are in the business of shaping us into things that will please you. And I pray, Father, that, God Almighty, you would just continue to speak with us, change us, and challenge us about how to continue to live after the resurrection. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's just stay for a moment in this posture of prayer. As you're standing, just be talking to the Lord. Why are you standing? What's the thing that he's saying or doing? And so we say, Lord, you are the potter and we are the clay. And thank you that you knit us together in our mother's womb you've prepared good works in advance for us to do that you're committed to our fruitfulness that you are determined to make something beautiful and useful out of our lives 
Thank you, Lord, that you lovingly shape the mess of our lives into something amazing. And so, Lord, whatever this looks like for all these people standing now and all those watching online, I just say, come, Holy Spirit, come and shape us. And Lord, we do pray that you won't take any shortcuts, that every imperfection get it out of us, that we don't want to be some amazing vessel but with lumps and bumps in us because we bypassed the process of preparation. Do whatever you've got to do in us, Holy Spirit, to purify and prepare us for the potter's hands.